Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Root and Roots Show on blogtalkradio.com. Now here's your host, Greg Rashid, bringing you the best in music, information, and history. You know, this will bring you the best in a horror tonight, but anyway, this is Greg Rashid, the host of the Root and Roots Show, and we heard Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and also Saturday, some Saturdays and some Fridays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and besides listening on Block Talk Radio, if you're listening live, you're also listening on a delayed basis, either on iTunes or on Blog Talk Radio later on, and also you're listening to this show on Saturday on KUHSRadio.com in Denver. It was created by Henry Archuleta. I want to say hi to all my friends in Colorado who are listening to the show. But tonight we're going to be playing some music. Now, for those of you who like, you know, are into the whole Halloween mood, I'm going to try to get you into that this evening if you're really into that, because we're going to be playing some scary old-time radio shows, but I'm going to be doing some music that's kind of creepy, too. I'm going to start off with the uh, classic by a Michael Jackson thriller that most of us know, and I'm dedicating this to uh, Sylvia because she wanted to hear this. So I just want to say hi out there to Sylvia and all the other folks that wanted to hear Michael Jackson do thrillers. So let's hear that right now on the Root and Root Show.
Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. adventure want to get away from it all we offer you escape escape designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure tonight we escape to a lonely lighthouse off the steaming jungle coast of french guiana and the nightmare world of terror and violence, as we bring you again in response to hundreds of requests, Three Skeleton Key, starring Vincent Price. Picture this place, a gray tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. 
A bare black rock, 150 feet long, maybe 40 wide. That's at low tide. At high tide, just the lighthouse rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water, gray-green scum-dappled, warm as soup, and swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish, great violet schools of Portuguese man-of-war, and yes, sharks, the big ones, the 15-footers. And as if this weren't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland, a wind that smelled like death, a wind that had smelled the slow and frightful death that came one night to this bare black rock. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went. And up. Yes, up and up and round and round. Past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope, casks of wicks, racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds and cartons and cans, and up. And up and up, round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom, and over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept. And over the bunk room was the living and cooking room, and over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty, big steel and bronze baby with the sun gleaming through the glass walls all about, bouncing, blinding little beams off the big shining reflectors, glittering and refracting through her lenses, the whole gigantic bulk of her balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of her rotary mechanism. She was a sweetheart of a light. And at night, she'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with her revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right. And it wouldn't be bad, the other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind, and it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and Auguste. What a pair. Louis, he was head man, was a big fellow from the Basque country. Black beard... Little hard black eyes and a pair of arms that I tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. A silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation, the most I could ever get out of him was... Jean, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They want to talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You, you're getting to be as bad as August. I thought maybe for once they send me somebody... Who that was Louis. When he accused me of becoming like August, I quieted down. Because August was the talkingest man I'd ever met. The talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Yes, indeed. Played in over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous horrible, the way we used to scare the audiences. I, I was hated. Yes, yes, they used to throw things and hiss 
and bare their teeth at me. Finally, it got too bad. I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand. Yes, gave it up completely. I really did. Couldn't stand it any longer. It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, Staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers, and the big yellow stars, when out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second, something the light had touched far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was. A three-master, a big one, about a half mile off, and coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and ships kept clear. But this one, this sailing vessel, was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled, Louis! Louis! Couldn't understand it. I waited for the light to come around again. Why is that? Ship headed for the reef! Hurry right up! I had the glasses out. Now, I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set, the foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guess, sir. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? North, northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Can't they see? Look at her. She just keeps coming on. Yeah, the square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch north, northwest. I know. I know what it is. Huh? What? The Dutchman. The flying Dutchman. We did a play about her once. Oh, what a performance. You ghastly, gallion, hag-ridden, curse-ribbon, muscon... Shut up, will you? She's loving. Yes. Sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. The crew left her for some reason or other. But instead of sinking, she's gone on, running before every wind. She'll not run long. Not with these reefs to break her up. A beautiful ship. Now, why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she left again, caught some odd gust and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, healing and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to a pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief? She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? What? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? Yeah. This is impossible. Huh? Absolutely impossible. What? Here. Take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. And what is it you... I had to focus, and then my breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all were hundreds, no thousands, no mi- I don't know, an endless number of enormous rats. See them? Yes, I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know. What 
are you two doing? Here, give me a look. Yes, give him the glasses. Take a good look, chatterbox. Give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. <sighs> She's going to turn. She better turn soon. <sighs> suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's slow tide. Yes. Yes, it is. Where's all the conversation, August, huh? Here, want the glasses again? Uh, want another look? No, no. She's still coming on. Go away! Go away! Turn! Will you turn, I say? I pray you turn! She's climbing up. The rats! Look! On the water! Like a carpet! They're swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ship's rats. But they're... Swimming for the rocks. The door below. It's open. Come on. Down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared? You bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. Gracie, but hurry, hurry. Look. See them? No. Oh, yes, I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at the millions. They smell us. Here they come. Close the door. Here. Let me. Oh, move. You move. Made it. Holy. That was close. One guy in. Look, there. Get him. Bigger. And his eyes were wild and red, his teeth long and sharp and yellow. He went for it, hard and ravenous, and we fought him, fought that one rat all over the room. It was, oh, believe me, I do not exaggerate, it was like fighting a panther. Got him. We better get aloft. We ran up the winding staircase, we passed the tiny windows of the various levels. And at every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louie, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Look at them. Will you look at them? It's a nightmare. Will you look at them? The air of the gallery was thick and fetid with the stink of them. The light was dim, brown, filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass all about. I could not see the sky. Nothing, nothing but them. Their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling, hairy snouts, their teeth, the rats. They screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving. And we three, we stood very quietly. Oh, very, very quietly in the center of the classroom under our beautiful light. And we waited. What can we do? What can we do? Take it easy, old man. Take it easy. I can't. I can't. It won't do any good to stand here and shake. Uh, that's right. Anybody want a cigarette? Yes. Yes, I have one. Thank you. Good boy. We've got to keep calm about this thing. Here's a light. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, they don't light the fire, do they? Guess not. Smile them, August. Give me some more matches. I'll strike them and strike them and strike them until they get scared and go away. They won't go away. <laughs> Not until... Let me see. Not until what? 
Not until they've been fed. You can take just so much horror and then you get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass. They could see us and they could rush at us, but that thin, invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below. More rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. Only it had drowned some of them. Six rats don't drown. <laughs> no, sir, you cannot drown one of them. They're all climbing up the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Yeah. Hey, what's the time? Quarter six. You've got first watch, John. Right. Uh, wake me at ten. I will. Come along, Avis. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the racks. Oh, very pretty. I set the wick, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamp. It caught them. Listen in their gigantic wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. Then I started the rotary motor. Life drove them mad as she swung slowly and smoothly about. She blinded them in the fierce, stabbing bar of light, moving continually about of a turning, of a touching, of a moving around and around. And they twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light bright light moving and behind on the dark side of the room, so close, so close I dared not turn my back but you cannot help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you could not see them, but only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. me at ten, but I didn't get much sleep that night, and when I came up into the gallery early next morning, there stood August, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms and making a speech. I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast to the Paris theater. Prelate, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. I am he who did guide the dark soul of the Marechal into the nether part. <laughs> Do not be frightened, little children. I will he not hurt turning. you. I but... stood staring at him, horror-struck, but he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. August! August! Ah, another one. A latecomer. Take a seat on the aisle, dear patron. Agus, Move stop over it, there. Stop it. Let the gentleman be But easy. he didn't. Come, come. He went on, oh, bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arm. He looked at me like a child. And then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below. Go on. Oh, very well, then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today. Sure, he was crazy. But I guess we all were. 
A few hours later, he came back up and caught Louie and me teasing the rats. Yes. Sounds horrible? <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> we could get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away trying to get at our eyes. Louie was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. The rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall 110 feet to the surf below. <laughs> Look at the sharks! They're eating them. Yeah, the sharks are our friends. Yeah, I'll get another bunch together. <laughs> yeah, my beauty. That's it. Pile of Kill each other. <laughs> there they go! Auguste joined in, too. Oh, very ingenious, Auguste. He learned that if he spread-eagled himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait in rats! It went on all day. And then I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired, and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. Couldn't figure it at first. I got up, lit the lamp, and went to the window. Even as I looked at it, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. Louis, Louis, come uh, quick. What? What is it? They found a way in. I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy, and assured of the success of this maneuver, were all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy body scudding against the other side as the window gave way. That ought to hold. If it doesn't, we're done for. Rats can't eat tin. No, they can't. So what was that? I don't know. It came from below. The storeroom window. They're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Drop the trap. Right. Two of them got in. Let's go after them. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I leaped to one side and grabbed a marlin spike, swung, and smashed one in midair. No! I whirled to see Louie with the other. It had ripped his hand open, and the blood was pouring all over the place. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped and swung and got him. My hand! He got my hand! That's both of them, Louie. I'll, I'll get you something to tie that up. Blood! Look at it, my... I'm bleeding. Now, don't worry about it, Louie. Here, look. I'll wind this kerchief around it. It'll be okay. Blood. There, now. It's not bad. Just the flesh. Then I became conscious of another new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood fascinated. Even as I did, it began to give way. And a bristling, whiskery nose showed through Louis, Louis, we've got to go up. Next level was the middle quarters in the kitchen. I slammed the trap door there, too. But it, too, was wood. Oh, my blood. What are we going to do? I don't know. To be through this one in a moment. The gallery. The trap door in the gallery is metal. Good. Come on. We made it. We lay across the trap door exhausted. 
While below us, the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather. And all about us, the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. Until now, we'd been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off. And so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting. The hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me too fast. <laughs> Would you like to come in, my beauty? Would you? I hold the powers of life and death, and I can let you in with all. August was standing by the glass, and in one hand he held a wrench. He was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. I used myself to my feet, and slowly, very slowly, tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is tap just a little harder. Huh? I found a coil of wire in the tool kit, and I trussed him up, fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side, looking at his bloody hands, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company, and all about watching our little drama, The Rats. The day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. We had only one way of summoning them, and that was to shoot off distress rockets, but the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night, I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day, we lay, thirst-tormented, starving, waiting, waiting, and the following night, I again tended the light, but the small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted, and quite suddenly, about midnight, the light went out. There's nothing I could do. Wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing... From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. When I did, it lit up the million red eyes about it. All about watching, waiting. Below, it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned this house, and now they, too, were waiting. All waiting. And then, the rats, quite suddenly... And then I heard it. And then I saw the sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently at us. The light was out. They didn't know. I wanted to open the windows to call out to them, to warn them somehow, but 
I was afraid. What if, what if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef not 200 yards from the quay. Grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet, was he a passenger or crewman off watch, didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free. And I waited. That's all. That's the story. The sun came up and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us, gone back to sea on their new ship. August, insane asylum, he never recovered. And Louis, they took him into Cayenne where he died of blood poisoning from his vice. Uh, oh, yes. Well, that's the whole of it. And if you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. No, no mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse, I should say not. Life in the lights isn't bad. But sometimes when I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous, sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Three Skeleton Key by George Tadeus, adapted for radio by James Poe and starring Vincent Price as Jean. Supporting Mr. Price were Harry Bartell as August and Jeff Corey as Louis. Sound effects on Three Skeleton Key, created by Cliff Thorsness and executed today by Mr. Thorsness, Gus Bays, and Jack Sixsmith, have been awarded the best of the year by Radio and Television Life magazine. Harry Essman was at the control panel, and special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week... You are swimming for your life in the dangerous waters off the Florida Gulf Coast about to be smashed by a launch carrying a vicious criminal who must kill you or die himself. And on shore 500 yards away, the police are waiting to arrest you for murder. And there can be no escape. Next week, we escape with an exciting tale of temptation and death on the Gulf Coast of Florida as John and Gwen Bagney tell it in Danger at Matagumba. Goodbye, then, until the same time next week when once again we offer you... Escape! A patch of weeds, a boxer's biography, and a mild, lukewarm bath. They're all clues that lead the police of Jackson, Michigan, to a killer in the gangbuster story on CBS this Saturday night. It's the case of the double push to be heard on most of these same CBS stations this Saturday night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Rashid, and that was I hope you enjoyed that. That was the three skeleton key from the show Escape, and that starred Vincent Price, who's known for a lot of movies, uh, a lot of horror movies, going from Pit in the Pendulum, House of Wax, Tales of Terror, The Indomitable. Dr. Phipps, yeah, just a little bit of everything, the Mask of the Red Death, and, of course, on Thriller, you know, doing the little dialogue on the Michael Jackson song that we played earlier. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed that on the Root and Root Show. We're going to be playing some more old radio shows shortly, but I'm going to do, let's do some scary music here. And this is Bessie Smith from the 20s. I'm going to play Haunted House. So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show.
the radio. So people are just using their imagination, and it's just a powerful medium. And I just I just love old-time radio, as you obviously know, because I do play that, obviously, time to time. And I've had guests talking about it on the show, and we will have more guests talking about it in the future. But this one is Lights Out, the show. And the name of this one is The Death Robbery. And it's about haunted love in particular. And it stars Boris Karloff, who was the monster in Frankenstein. If you don't know the name, I'm sure everyone knows the name. If, if you've ever seen the, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, He's the voice of the Grinch and the narrator in it, and he did so many horror movies. He's a great actor, and I'm going to play this right now. Death Robbery from the show, Lights Out, starring the amazing Boris Karloff on the Root and Root show. Eversharp Schick Injector Razor, made by Eversharp, manufacturers of Eversharp Schick Injector Razors and Blades, and famous Eversharp Precision Writing Instruments. Hideous things come out of the darkness to prowl the tortured earth. Evil hands stretch forth to see. Evil eyes are watching. Unholy voices whisper and quarrel in the fearful silence. Death stalks. Loathsome, horrible death. Dare you put out your lights and listen to Boris Karloff in the story of horror in the deepening darkness? Dare you listen to... Lights out! I'm glad you brought up the question of ethics, Ed. Sometimes I think science is too ethical. Stands in the way of research. I don't know, David. Take your work, for example. It's wonderful, but you have to be very cautious. I think working with monkeys is about as far as you should go right now. Oh, but, Ed, David is past that stage. Why not show Ed the one you worked on today, darling? If you'd like to see it, Ed, it's right in the lab. Yes, I would. I saw it last night after you injected the poison. I'll get it, David. Thank you, dear. It's in the second cage. Mm, Ruth's a wonderful girl, David. Must be a big help to you in your work. Don't know what I do without her. But if she ever gets too interested in pure science, <laughs> I'm going to I'm, I'm going to lock her out of the lab and just make her go back to being a wife. <laughs> How do you find time for a wife? Now, look here. All you practicing surgeons think the research man is a machine. Not me, Ed. Ruth means more to me than all the discoveries I might make. Her happiness is all I live and work for. Well, I can't say that I blame him. She's a very charming person. Ah, here he is. Same one you saw last night, Ed. Stone dead. And there he is, just as healthy and alive as any other monkey. Why, it's amazing, David. Naturally, I've followed all the experiments along this line, but you seem to have progressed much farther. David can't go any farther with animals. He's ready for the next step, and he can do it. Well, I'm all for research, David. But you have a moral obligation in this sort of thing. How do you know it'll work with human beings? Oh, you're a surgeon yourself, Ed. You know that human beings are animals just like all the subjects I've used. I know it'll work. Well, knowing it won't get you far with society... 
You'll have to submit proof. I know that. And I've tried every way I can think of to get a human being to demonstrate on. He's tried insane asylums, penitentiaries, everywhere. No one will listen to me. Well, in a way, you can't blame them. Even to me, with my training, the idea seems, well, blasphemous. My dear Ed, you can't stop scientific progress because of a so-called moral concept. Besides, what could be less blasphemous than a triumph over death? (laughs) I'm sorry, but I can't see it that way. I wouldn't want to try it on me. When I'm dead, I want to stay dead. Oh, that's foolish, Ed. If I die first, I want David to use me for a subject. (laughs) Don't look so startled, Ed. She's always been my strongest supporter. But I'm not going to use her as a subject. I like her too well as a wife. (laughs) Still, it gives me the shivers to hear you talk that way, Ruth. Why? I've seen David's work grow to where the technique is perfect. Before long, his experiments will be recognized by the whole medical world. And if I can help him achieve that goal, I'm willing to do anything. Living or dead. I mean it. She wanted to do it, Ed, living or dead. David, you're surely not going to hold her to that. Not now. Of course I am. She meant it. But I called you over here tonight, Ed, because I need help. Don't tell me that. But I want you to help me bring Ruth's... To bring her here? That's exactly what I mean. David... Will you help me? Or must I bribe some stranger? David, why don't you give this thing up? It's it's inhuman. Ed, if I succeed, I'll have Ruth back. Don't you see how much it means? Well, yes, if you're successful. Oh, I've no doubt about that. Look, I've got my laboratory record. 714 times I've performed the experiment on guinea pigs, rabbits, monkeys. 714 times it's been successful. Don't you see? But, David, this is no laboratory experiment. Ruth was your wife. She is my wife. The only woman I ever loved. That's why I want to bring her back here and start her breathing and living again. There's an ugly name for what you're asking me to do, David. I know. Grave robbery. But there's a better name for it, Ed. Death robbery. We'll rob old man death. the door shut. Uh, on the operating table. I must say you are completely equipped. It's surgery, just as well as a lab. Everything we need is here. There. Well, it's done. Not yet. You mean you want me to stay? Ed, listen. Ever since Ruth... Well, I guess I've leaned on you for everything. I won't ask you to stay, but I do need you. Just a little longer. All right, David. I'll stay. Ruth will be the first to thank you when we succeed. David, I'll always doubt this until I see Ruth living, breathing, smiling again. It won't be long. Just a matter of 15 or 20 minutes. If nothing happens. What will you do if you're... 
operation doesn't work. Then you'll have just one more job to do as my friend. And that? Will be to bury both of us. Oh, now look, David. If Ruth isn't alive again within a few minutes, I'll have lost her forever. And I'll have proved that my whole life's work is useless. I'll have reason enough to use any of a dozen tricks that any good surgeon knows. End the whole business. Oh, but don't look so horrified, Ed. We won't fail. Let's begin. I should remind you once more, David, that you're usurping powers that belong to God Almighty. I like to think that Providence has wisely held back the knowledge of things like this until we knew how to use them. And I know how. Hand me that large beaker. All right. I'm not going to back out on you, David. What shall I do? Do. You'll work as you haven't worked in surgery before. Thank heavens I've got your skill on my side. Now then, first strap the spigot manometer on her arm. I just happened to think of something. Keep moving. This is all a matter of timing. Yeah, but, David... Here are your instruments. I want the incision right here where I'm shaving the hair. Make a small incision just at the fontanelle while I prepare the solution. David, have you considered... Please, work fast. But, Dave, what? She was embalmed, you know. Of course I know that. I have something to replace the blood and to counteract the fluid. It's ghastly. Finish the cut. I know what I'm doing. Well, that's all for the incision, but after all... It'll work nice. Now cut away the dura mater. Entirely? Leave the brain exposed? Yes, yes, I'll fix that. I've done it 700-odd times. Well, this is no guinea pig or monkey. Well, I hardly need reminding. Sorry. What's that? A compound I've synthesized myself. What is it? I call it digamma-paradiamine. Oh, I know that isn't chemically correct. But it's as close as I can get to it. I knew that something like it must exist. It took three years to track it down took me that long to make the first drop of it. You know what you're doing, all right? Yes, I do. Now, then, if you're finished, take the leads from that storage battery there and attach the positive to the silver plate on the shelf. Put that at her feet. I feel as if I were doing something unholy. Place the tip of the negative in the incision you made in the skull. Be sure the tip of the wire actually... actually penetrates the pyamata. David... What if you bring her back? I will bring her back. But what if you bring her back and find she comes back without her soul? What? Her soul? Yes. You're a surgeon, and you believe in a soul? Well, I hesitate to say there is no such thing. You've seen a good many deaths, haven't you? Have you ever seen any evidence that the soul escapes at death? Perhaps I couldn't recognize the evidence. Put it this way, then. If there is any soul, it either leaves the body or stays with it at death. Now, no reputable surgeon or physician has ever been able to report the slightest evidence of the soul having left the body. So the soul, if there is a soul, must stay with the body, a part of it. I'm ready now. If you've finished. Everything's set. Good. Close that switch then at the battery. Watch the meter and keep the current between plus and minus five of 150 the rheostat on the edge of the table. All right? All right. Now, I'm going to inject 10 cc's of adrenaline in the brachial artery. Adrenaline? Adrenaline and something else. There. God, she's beautiful, Ed. Yes. 
She was. She is. You'll see her in a few minutes, just as she was. I wonder what you'll have to tell us. Nothing. Death is only a transcendental sleep. Do you really believe that, Dick? Oh, well, what's the difference? How's the current? Now, let's see. What? Let's jump to 180. Good. Bring it back to 150. That's the result of the injection. On a dead body? <clears throat> let's say suspended animation. There are still a few things in surgery you don't know, aren't there? I never dreamed of a reaction like that. I'll show you more. Help me swing this lamp over here. But... Let the ammeter go. It'll hold steady for a minute now. But it might jump again. No, it won't. I've been all through this before. The reactions are exactly the same as the others. Well, this lamp... X-rays? No, it's a modification of the cathode ray. And just another of my developments. I call these theta rays. Why do you call them that? Well, most rays are named for the first few letters in the Greek alphabet. Alpha, beta, gamma, and so on. Well, that explains theta. Didn't you say theta? Yes. But theta was called the letter of death by the ancient Greeks. Well, that's right. It was the first letter in the word thanatos. Death. I see. A theta without death. (laughs) Maybe I was too sentimental. Maybe. At least human for once. Let's not argue. Here goes the ray. Now, quickly, the solution. Inject it? No, pump it. I built this pump especially for it. There's the pump switch, Ed. Here? Yeah. Turn it on and watch the ammeter. Okay. It's jumping. How far? 155. Let it go. 160. 170. Hold it there. It'll stay there now. Listen carefully. Yes. As soon as I turn off the pump, I want spigma readings. But there won't be any blood pressure. Wait and see. Give me a reading each time I ask for it and take them carefully. Are you ready? This is fantastic. I'm ready. Okay. Reading. Systolic zero. Diastolic zero. That's all right. It will take a few seconds. Now. Forty. My God. Diastolic. Hurry. Zero. My orbit valve is still open. I'll turn off the ray. Reading. Forty-eight. Over forty-two. David. Not yet. Now the stopwatch. Seven seconds after I say go, I want the systolic. Now you have it? Right. Ready. Now, go. Sixty. Go. Just what it should be. Lord. Look at my hand. I don't wonder. Ruth, darling, just a few more minutes. All right, Ed. Now the ray again. We'll know the answer very soon. The second act of Lights Out, starring Boris Karloff, will follow in just a moment. 
But now listen to the sweetest shaving song ever written. Push pull, click click. Changes blades that quick. Push pull, click click. With the Eversharp Schick Injector Razor, yes, it clicks for men everywhere. Because the Eversharp Schick Injector Razor is the world's one and only razor with the automatic blade changer. No blades to unwrap. Fingers never touch the blade. Just push pull, click click. And a keen new blade is automatically locked in correct shaving position instantly. It clicks because the Eversharp Schick Injector Razor makes shaving 50% faster, 100% safer, 200% smoother. Just try the Eversharp Schick Injector Razor for one week. See for yourself the difference. It's a $1.75 value. Special now, only $1.25, complete with 20 blades. For the shave of your life, the rest of your life, Switch to an Eversharp Schick Injector Razor. Get yours tomorrow. Push-pull, click-click. Buy an Eversharp Schick. How long do you use the ray this time, David? Not long. Give me a reading. 68. Over 67. Now. 70. Diastolic. 68. Now. David. 118. 76. Close. Now. 120. That's it. 80. The stethoscope. Quick. Here. Listen. After all, it must have been a physical shock. That's true. 
It must also be true that there was a great mental shock involved. I think that's why she screamed, and I'm wondering whether there's been a permanent effect on her mind. Known as I prefer to think of it, her soul. Oh, you're simply bothering trouble, Ed. I've never seen any sign of permanent damage in my other experiments. Don't forget that Ruth was a human being. Well, there's only one way to find out. I'm going to wake her. You're not afraid? Afraid? Of what? Ruth. Ruth. Wake up, darling. Ruth, dear, it's David speaking. Wake up, dearest. Ruth. Ruth. Oh, darling. No wonder it scared a poor girl. Ruth, it's it's David, dear. I kept my promise and you're alive again. Oh, you're all right, honey. It's David, you're... You've been there with us since 8 o'clock last night without any letter. Go on, I'll stay. Ed. I know, old boy. I'd give anything myself if we could undo what we've done, but... Ed, what could I do? Well, there may be something. Let's try an experiment when she wakes up again. What kind of an experiment? Well, let's see if we can talk to her, get her to say anything. If we can get a flicker of intelligence, maybe we can teach her, build up from a small fragment. Maybe it might work. I'm going to wake her up and try it. But not now. Why don't you take a walk? Relax a little. And get something to eat while you're out. Eat? I can't eat. I'm going to wake her. Ruth. Ruth. David. Why not let her sleep? She's waking up now. Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Are you waking up? Poor child. Poor child. There. She repeats after me. A little. Maybe it will work, Ed. Ruth. Ruth. David. David. It works. Seems to. Ruth, say I want a glass of water. Seems to. (laughs) I want a glass of water. Water. It's too long for her. Ruth. Say, Ruth. Ruth. Loves. Loves. David. David. (laughs) Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. It's working, Maybe. But what is she thinking? I don't know. No, no. Ruth, stop it. Stop it. Wait a minute, old man. Ruth loves David. Too much for you, tired as you are. Go on, I'll take a little walk and I'll work with her for a while. Stop. Your nerves won't take much of this. I guess you're right, Ed. I can't think anymore. I'll be right there. Fine, fine. I'll take good care of her and see what I can find out. Be patient with me. Don't worry. I will. And you get something to eat while you're out. All right, I'll try. Poor guy, this is really rough on him. Rough on him! Ruth! Ruth! We're kidding ourselves. There's nothing there. She's a parrot. Parrot! Never mind, Ruth. Ruth! Put down that scalpel! No more! 
You'll hurt yourself. Ruth, stay away. <laughs> Don't put it down. Think of David. something and fix you right up. Wait. No use. Now, look. Dr. Artery. No hope. Ed. All right, doctor. Your diagnosis is correct. A minute or two left. Ruth hiding. Watch out. No. No soul. She'll kill you, too. What have I done, Ed? Everything I've done is wrong. Wonderful technique, Doctor. Congratulations. What about soul? Ed. Ed. Ruth. She's somewhere in the house. What if she gets out? And a scalpel in her hands. There's been enough damage. Ruth! Ruth! Basement. I'd better take a gun. in the lab. No. No, there's nothing new. Just an experiment. No. Like so many experiments, it it just didn't work out. Sharp Shake has just presented Boris Karloff in the first of the new series of mystery and terror stories, Lights Out. In just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's story. But first, 
No matter what kind of razor you use now, here's a challenge. There's a better, easier, faster way to shave. Eversharp Schick Injector Razor has banished forever 90% of the nuisance that makes shaving such a chore. Ends nuisance number one, no time wasted. Eversharp Schick Injector Razor has been proved at least 50% faster. Ends nuisance number two, it's safer. Patented guard bar prevents skin irritation, even under nose. Eversharp Schick shaves clean and smooth without skin irritation. Ends nuisance number three, Nothing to take apart or put together. World's easiest razor to clean. Just rinse, shake, put away. Ends nuisance number four. No blades to unwrap. Fingers never touch the blade. Just push-pull, click-click. Because Eversharp Shicks, the world's one and only razor with the automatic blade changer that locks a keen new blade, the world's sharpest blade, in correct shaving position instantly. Yes, it's 50% faster... 100% safer, 200% smoother. So, for the world's quickest, easiest, cleanest shave, change to Eversharp Schick Injector Razor. It's a $1.75 value, but special now for only $1.25, complete with 20 blades. Buy yours tomorrow. <laughs> Next week, Lights Out will bring you a story about the undead, the vampires who are doomed to wander alone through all eternity, seeking the blood of innocent ones. Be sure to listen next Wednesday night at the same time. Lights Out is produced and directed by Bill Lawrence. The script is by Paul Pierce and Willis Cooper. This is Ken Nile speaking for Eversharp, manufacturers of Eversharp Schick Injector razors and blades, and famous Eversharp Precision Writing Instruments. For birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, and business gifts, remember the best gift of all is an Eversharp CA pen. Buy yours tomorrow during the sensational Eversharp CA pen sale. Buy now and save as much as 60%. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. I can't believe they had that happy music or something like that, but that was Boris Karloff and Death Robbery from the show Lights Out, and they just had this happy just music as they were talking about murder and all that and bringing the dead back, but anyway, hope you enjoyed that on the Root and Root Show, and I just love listening to the commercials, because they crack me up the prices and all, how they're really selling these things, and they're supposed to be so great. It still goes on, I mean, obviously, commercials actually... I actually say commercials are worse now, but that's that's another thing. But we're going to get to some music in, and I'll do one more old-time radio show. I hope you're enjoying what we're doing, a special presentation. Of, I, you know, if you're into Halloween, but even if you're just in, in, into old-time radio and just some fun music, I mean, it's great to just listen to this stuff. So I'm going to play right now the Five Jones Boys and Mr. Ghost Goes to Town. So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show.
up there on the stairs. Beware, beware, I hear somebody coming upon his toe. Oh, look there, he goes, my miss, the ghost is going to town. He takes his cane, his gloves, and his hat, and like a cat, he hurries down the alley. The moon is bright, and this is the night when Mr. Ghost is going to town. Day to do a little stepping, he'll shake his bone to hot sacks of foam. Cause Mr. the ghost is going to town. Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense.
Suspense, Columbia's parade of outstanding thrillers, produced and directed by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herrmann, the notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in... Suspense. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. And very happy I am to be back in the United States and back on the Columbia Network. Even for so short a visit as this one. Back with old friends like Johnny Dietz, who is tonight's director, and Bernard Herman. The Mercury Theater presented tonight's radio play for the first time last year. We came right out then and hailed it as a classic of the medium. Nobody argued the point. A lot of people asked us to do it again, so it's gratifying to get the chance now and to find a favorite of ours in this distinguished anthology of spook shows. Personally, I've never met anybody who didn't like a good ghost story, but I know a lot of people who think there are a lot of people who don't like a good ghost story. For the benefit of these, at least, I go on record at the outset of this evening's entertainment with a sober assurance that although blood may be curdled on this program, none will be spilt. There's no shooting, knifing, throttling, axing, or poisoning here. No clanking chains, no cobwebs, no bony and or hairy hands appearing from secret panels or, better yet, bedroom curtains. If it's any part of that dear old phosphorescent foolishness that people who don't like ghost stories don't like, then again, I promise you, we haven't got it. Not tonight. What we do have is a thriller. It's half as good as we think it is. You can call it a shocker. It's already been called a real Orson Welles story. Now, frankly, I don't know what this means. I've been on the air directing and acting in my own shows for quite a while now, and I don't suppose I've done more than half a dozen thrillers in all that time. Honestly, I don't think even that many, but it seems I do have a reputation for the uncanny. Quite possibly, a little escapade of mine involving a couple of planets, which shall be nameless, is responsible. Doesn't really matter. Don't think I disapprove of thrillers. I don't. A story doesn't have to appeal to the heart. It can also appeal to the spine. Sometimes you want your heart to be warmed, and sometimes you want your spine to tingle. The tingling, it's to be hoped, will be quite audible as you listen tonight to The Hitchhiker. That's the name of our story, The Hitchhiker. I'm in an auto camp on Route 66 west of Gallup, New Mexico. If I tell it, perhaps it'll help me. Keep me from going, going crazy. I gotta tell this quickly. I'm not crazy now. I feel perfectly well, except that I'm running a slight temperature. My name is Ronald Adams. I'm 36 years of age, unmarried, tall, dark, with a black mustache. I drive a 1940 Buick license number 6Y175189. I was born in Brooklyn. All this I know. I know that I'm at this moment perfectly sane. That it's not me who's gone mad. It's something else. Something utterly beyond my control. I've got to speak quickly. At any minute, the link may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on Earth. 
the last night I ever see the stars. Six days ago, I left Brooklyn to drive to California. Goodbye, son. Good luck to you, my boy. Goodbye, mother. Here, give me a kiss, and I'll go. I'll come out with you to the car. Oh, no, it's raining. Stay here at the door. Oh. Hey, what's this? Tears? I thought you'd promise me you wouldn't cry. Oh, I know, dear. I, I'm sorry. But I I do hate to see mother, you. Both. I'll be back. It'll only be the, on the course three months. Oh, it isn't that. It's, it's just the trip. Ronald, I wish you weren't driving. Oh, Mother, there you go again. People do it every day. I know, but you're a bit careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road. Oh, gosh. I think I was still 17 here, you two. Oh, and why, I mean, as soon as you get to Hollywood, won't you, son? Of course I will. Don't you worry. There's nothing going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads. With a hot dog or a hamburger stand every ten miles. I was in fine spirits drive ahead of me, even the loneliness seemed like a lark. I reckoned without him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. I would have forgotten him completely, except that just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least, he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he got there, but I thought probably one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beaten me to the Skyway, and let him off. I didn't stop for him. Then late that night... I saw him again. It's on the new Pennsylvania turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels when I saw him. Standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I'd seen quite distinctly the bag, the cap, even the spots of fresh rain scattered over his shoulders. He hallooed at me this time. Hello? Hello? Stepped on the gas like a shot. That's lonely country through the Alleghenies, and I had no intention of stopping. Besides the coincidences or whatever it was, neither the Willies. Stopped at the next gas station. Uh, fill her up. Certainly, sir. Check your oil, sir? No, thanks. Nice night, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> it hasn't been raining here recently, has it? Not a drop of rain all away. Oh? Oh, I, I suppose that doesn't done your business any harm. Oh, people drive through here all kinds of weather. Mostly business, you know. 
There aren't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year. I suppose not. What, uh, uh, what about hitchhikers? <laughs> hitchhikers here? What's the matter? Don't you ever see any? Not much. If we did, it'd be a sight for sore eyes. Why? Oh, a guy'd be a fool who started out to hitch rides on this road. Look at it. Then, you've never seen anybody? No. Maybe they get the lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house. But then it'd be a mighty long ride. Most cars wouldn't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And you know, this is pretty lonesome country here. Mountains and woods. You ain't seen anybody like that, have you? Uh, no. Oh, no, not, not at all. I was just uh, a technical question. I <laughs> see. Well, that'll be just a dollar forty-nine with the tax. The thing gradually passed through my mind a sheer coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man all next day until until just outside of Zanesville, Ohio, I saw him again. Bright, sunshiny afternoon, the peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay dreaming in the golden light. I was driving slowly, drinking it in, when the road suddenly ended in a detour. In front of the barrier, he was standing. Now, let me explain about his appearance before I go on. I repeat, there was nothing sinister about him. He was as drab as a mud fence, nor was his attitude menacing. He merely stood there. Waiting, almost drooping a little, the cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he'd been waiting there for hours. And he looked up. He hailed me. He started to walk forward. Hello? 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 No, not just now, sorry. Going to California? No, not today. The other way, going to New York, sorry. I got the car back on the road again. I felt like a fool. Yet the thought of picking him up, of having him sit beside me, was somehow unbearable. At the same time, I felt more than ever unspeakably alone. Hour after hour went by. Fields, the towns ticked off one by one. The light changed. I knew now that I was going to see him again. And though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road, waiting for him to appear. Sandwiches and pop here, don't you? Yeah, we do in the daytime. But we're closed up now for the I night. know, well, I was wondering if you could possibly have a cup of coffee, black coffee. Just. No, not this time want... of night, mister. My wife's the cook. She's a man. No, don't shut the door, please. Listen, just a minute ago. Uh, <laughs> just a minute ago, there was a man standing here right beside the stand, a suspicious looking man. I, I don't mean to disturb it. You see, I was driving along when I just happened to look, and there he was. How's he doing? Well, nothing. You've been taking a nip. That's what you've been doing. Now, on your way before I call our sheriff folks. 
got into the car again and drove on slowly. Beginning to hate the car. If I could have found a place to stop, to rest a little. I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. Few resort places there were closed, only an occasional log cabin, seemingly deserted. That's all that broke the monotony of the wild, wooded landscape. I had seen him at that roadside stand. I knew I'd see him again. Maybe at the next turn of the road. I knew that when I saw him next, I would run him down. But I didn't see him again. I didn't see him until late next afternoon. I stopped the car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass by. When he appeared across the tracks, leaning against a telephone pole. Perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun. Yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that. Without thinking, blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas hard, veering the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. And something went wrong with the car. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell ringing and the cry of its whistle. Still, he stood there. And now I knew that he was beckoning, beckoning me to my death. him that time. The starter worked at last. I managed to back up. When the train passed, he was gone. I was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I didn't know who this man was or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on, I mustn't let myself alone on the road for one minute. Uh, hello there. Like a ride? Well, what do you think? How far are you going? Uh, where do you want to go? Amarillo, Texas. I'll drive you there. Gee. Uh, you mind if I take off my shoes? My dogs are killing me. Go right ahead. Oh. Gee, what a break this is. hitchhike much? Sure. Only it's tough sometimes in these great open spaces to get the break. Uh, I should think it would be, though. I'll bet you get a good pickup in a fast car. If you did, you could get places faster than, say, another person in another car, couldn't you? I don't get you. Well, take me, for instance. Suppose I'm, I'm driving across the country, say, at a nice steady clip about 45 miles an hour. Uh, couldn't couldn't a girl like you just standing beside the road waiting for Liz beat me to town or any town, provided she got picked up every time in a car doing from 65 to 70 miles an hour? I don't know. What difference does it make? Oh, 
no difference. It's just a crazy idea I had sitting here in the car. Oh, imagine spending your time in a swell car thinking of things like that. What would you do instead? What would I do? If I was a good-looking fellow like yourself? Why, I just enjoy myself every minute of the time. I'd sit back and, and relax. And if I saw a good-looking girl along the side of the road... Hey, look out! Did you see See who? A man standing beside the barbed wire fence. Oh, I didn't see anybody. I, it wasn't nothing but a bunch of cows and, and a wire fence. No? What did you think you was doing? Trying to run into the barbed wire fence? a man fence? there, I tell you. A thin gray man with an overnight bag in his hand. And I, I was trying to run him down. Run him down? You mean kill him? Say so you didn't see him back there? You sure? I didn't see a soul. As far as Watch that's for him the next time and keep watching. Keep your eyes peeled on the road. He'll turn up again. Maybe any minute. There! Look there! How does this door work? I, I'm getting out Did of here. Did you see him that time? No, I didn't see him that time. And personally, mister, I don't expect never to see him. All I want to do is go on living. I don't see how I will very long driving with you. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't... I... I don't know what came over me, but please don't go. So if you'll excuse me... You can't go. Listen, how would you like to go to California? I'll drive you to California. Seeing pink elephants all the way? No, thanks. Uh Uh-uh, thanks just the same. Listen, please, just just one minute, please. You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend. Just a good dose of sleep. Please. There, I got it now. No, you can't go. Please, come Your hands off me. Do you hear? Leave your hands off She ran from me. I were a monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up. I knew then that I was utterly alone. It was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do, how to get hold of myself. I could find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right here in the car for a few hours along the side of the road. Getting my winter overcoat out of the back seat to use as a blanket when I saw him coming toward me, emerging from the herd of moving steer. Hello! Maybe I should have spoken to him then. Fought it out then and there. For now, he began to be everywhere. Wherever I stopped, even for a moment, for gas, for oil, for a drink of pop, a cup of coffee, sandwich, he was there. I saw him standing outside the auto camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. Just sitting near the drinking fountain, a little camping spot just inside the border of New Mexico. He was waiting for me outside the Navajo reservation where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque when I bought 20 gallons of gas. I was... I was afraid to stop now. I began to drive faster and faster. I was... in... in lunar landscape now. The great arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. 
No, he didn't even wait for me to stop. Unless I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads, he waited for me at every other mile. I'd see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in the same attitude, over the cold, lifeless ground, flitting over dried-up rivers, over broken stones cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in that pure and cloudless air. I was beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico this morning. There's an auto camp here. Cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if only I could speak to someone familiar, someone I loved, I could pull myself together. Your call, please. Long distance. Long distance, certainly. This is long distance. I'd like uh, <laughs> I'd like to put a, in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Ronald Adams. I'm a, the, the number is Beechwood 200828. Certainly. I will try to get it for you. Albuquerque. New York for Gallup. New York. Gallup, New Mexico, calling Beechwood 20828. I'd read somewhere that love could banish demons. It's the middle of the morning. I knew Mother would be home. I pictured her tall and white-haired in her crisp house dress, going about her tasks. Be enough, I thought, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Will you please deposit $3.85 for the first three minutes? When you have deposited a dollar and a half, will you wait until I have collected the money? All right, deposit another dollar and a half. Deposit the remaining 85 cents. Ready with Brooklyn. Go ahead, please. Hello? Hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello, hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? What? Oh, who is this? This is Mrs. Winnie. Mrs. Winnie? I, I don't know any Mrs. Winnie. Is this Beechwood 208828? Yes. Uh, where, where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. Who the... is this calling, please? Is it a member of the family? Well, what's she in the hospital for? She's been prostrated for five days. Nervous breakdown. But who is Nervous calling? breakdown? Well, my grandmother never was nervous. It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. Death of her... Death of her oldest son, Ronald? 
Hey, what's this? What number is this? This is Beechwood 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. And so... So I'm sitting here in this deserted auto camp in Gallup, New Mexico. I'm trying to think. Trying to get hold of myself. Otherwise, I... I'm going to go crazy. Outside, it's night. The vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa. Mountains. Prairies. Desert. Somewhere among them... He's waiting for me. Somewhere I shall know who he is and who I am. So ends The Hitchhiker, and to Orson Welles, our considerable thanks for his playing of the title role. Mr. Wells, help wanted. Men, women, and children. Nature of work, hard, monotonous, back-breaking labor. Hours, 75 a week minimum. Pay, few cents an hour. Added inducement. Two meals a day, including several ounces of bad bread and a cup of thin soup. Don't delay. Apply at once. How'd you respond to a want ad like that, Mr. and Mrs. American working man and woman? You'd laugh, wouldn't you, and throw the paper in the trash basket. Dismiss the whole advertisement as some kind of a joke, but believe me, it's no joke. It's a simple statement of the working conditions that exist today in Nazi Germany and the conquered countries under Nazi rule. It's also an exact statement of the working conditions that will be imposed on you and every member of your family if the Nazis win this war. You yourself personally can stop them from winning, as you know. You don't have to give up your well-paid job to do it. You needn't have to be a soldier or a sailor or an airman or a nurse or a war worker to ensure American victory. Uncle Sam doesn't ask plain, ordinary, hard-working citizens like you to give him anything. All he asks, all this he does ask very seriously and very urgently, is that you loan him ten cents out of every dollar you make. That's all there is to it. Lend Uncle Sam a dime to win this war. And he'll pay you back with interest when he's won it. The easiest, most convenient way to lend him these dimes is to enroll in the payroll savings plan. Just tell your boss to deduct 10 cents from every dollar he pays you and lend it to Uncle Sam in your name. Sign up for this simple savings plan today and when victory comes, you will have war bonds in your pockets instead of Axis bonds on your wrists. Suspense will be heard again two weeks from tonight. Next Wednesday night, September 9th, the Columbia Broadcasting System will present over many of these stations at 9.30 p.m. Eastern wartime an address by W. Averill Harriman, the United States Land Lease Administrator in London. Mr. Harriman, as the personal representative of the President of the United States, 
attended the Moscow conferences between Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin. Next Wednesday's broadcast will be Mr. Harriman's first public address since his return to this country. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. John Dietz was our guest director this evening. Tonight's radio drama was written by Lucille Fletcher. The original score was by Bernard Herrmann. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Can you talk about hard? I mean, they started talking about, as Orson Welles, Orson Welles was saying that the Nazis, but talking about World War II, because that's 1943 when that was produced there, and that was Orson Welles on Suspense. One of the best radio shows ever made. A lot of, you know, when you look at history books about old-time radio, they always talk about suspense as being one of the best, and it, it is. And I, I have to play some more of that sometime, because that's, that's some really some good stuff, and I hope you enjoyed it on the Root and Root show. But, uh, and don't pick up anyone tonight, but maybe you can pick up someone because you're already not living. But that's another thing. I'm not going to scare anyone. But anyway, let's get to a little music here because some of you out there trick-or-treating. I'm going to do Otis Redding trick-or-treat on the Root and Root show.
And that was Otis Redding, the big O himself, and Trick or Treat on the Root and Root Show. I know some of you out there, if you're in the Halloween, are probably out there trick or treating. Yeah, I know you're adults. Yeah, you're probably out there trick or treating and trying to get some candy, get something there. But that was Otis Redding again. And I hope you enjoyed the show this evening. Whenever you listen to the show, if you're not listening live, that you're listening on KUHS, Denver.com, Internet Radio, in Colorado, throughout the world. And Henry Archuleta is doing a great job as far as the variety of shows he has on that station, and I'm just happy to be a part of that family out there. And I hope to do a live show there one day, but this will be aired. Those listening on on KUHS will be hearing this Saturday, but this is live Friday. And, and you might be listening to it anytime if you're on iTunes or anywhere on social media. But I just want to thank everyone who offered suggestions for this show this evening. I want to thank those who have listened in the past. If you want to be a follower of the show or you got suggestions for shows, there's a lot of people always are suggesting topics and music. You can go to my Facebook site, Greg, G-R-E-G, last name Rashid, R-A-S-H-E-E-D. You can go to my Twitter site, hashtag Unifix, U-N-I-F as in Frank, I-C-S as in Sam, hashtag Unifix. You go on the blogtalkradio.com site, look for Root and Root Show, and leave your messages there as people have been doing. But, follow, you know, just join in. If you want to advertise, let me know on those social media sites. But it's just great to be doing these shows and having people compliment you and just enjoying the topics. And, buy, you know, when I interview authors, I find out a lot of people are buying the books that uh, – of the authors that I've interviewed, and that's really great. I'm trying to find the music that I play here, and I just really appreciate that. And I may do, I think I'm going to do another one of these shows at some point, maybe maybe the next <laughs> next next show or so. I don't know. But anyway, I hope you enjoy listening to that old-time radio. And, you know, that's how I started, like, getting into radio, listening to, I wasn't born in, but in the 60s. You know, I wasn't around for the versions of old-time radio, but there were shows, especially WAMU, here in the D.C. area where they would play old-time radio, and I really got caught up into it, listening to the Long Ranger Suspense, the Green Hornet, and so many other folks, and just really just fun to listen to. And even though I didn't know at the time a lot of the folks on the shows, you just learn names, and it's like, wow, this is really something. So I hope you enjoyed that. And I'll be doing some more, as well as just interviewing folks. So I just want to thank everyone out there who's listening. And having, if you're celebrating Halloween, if you're into that, just be very safe out there. And just, you know, just make sure that, you know, you're just, uh, you know, just, just be careful. Don't eat too much candy if you're into candy. But just make sure that you help someone during this time of year and any time of year. Give, give them a hug. Just and just be thankful, and just call someone that you haven't talked to in years. You you will be very surprised how happy they'll be to hear you. So this is Greg Rashid again with the Root and Root Show. Go in love and go in peace. We'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs> Thank you.